0: Into the net by Kylian Mbappe. The pie and he snatched it. Gonalib finds Dembélé. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh my word! What a goal! Gonalib, lovely finish.
1: Must be the opening goal. Benedetto and Bagnon! Fantastic. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Oh Baignera, beautifully done. Sensational.
2: Coming up, Paris Saint-Germain crush Lyon to assert themselves in the title race as Lille feel the bite at home against the crocodiles of Nîmes. Are Monaco now the biggest threat? Nico Kovac's dynamic young side were irresistible against Saint-Étienne. We'll also discuss two of the best free kicks of the season as Junior Sambia and Armand Loriente showed off their skills at the weekend. Welcome uh, along to the latest edition of Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast. I am uh, delighted this week to welcome uh, Tom Williams onto the pod. Tom, uh, French football expert based in the UK now, uh, working for Canal Plus as well though on uh, on uh, on Sundays. How are you doing, Tom? Hi Matt, very well, thanks. Happy to be back, uh, particularly after
3: such a fantastic weekend of uh, of league and football. Um, some fantastic matches, some incredible goals, and sort of feels at a time when, uh, in all the other major European championships, that the title race looks increasingly sewn up, and there's there's not a huge amount happening at the top of the table. We find find ourselves in a position to enjoy one of the best league and title races in years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Tom, you know, for, for people who don't know Tom, he used to live out here in uh, in Paris, and I'm sure he's regretting moving <laughs> back to the UK, probably thinking he was going to get a competitive title race over there. But yeah, France is the place to be. David Crossan is here. David had um, had a busy weekend. Um, what were you commentating? You commentated the Lille game on Sunday, but you also... Had the had the pleasure of being pitch side at the Stade de France for a bit of rugby action on Saturday night. How are you, Dave? Yeah, very good. I, I won't
4: mention the rugby too much in sympathy with our, our Welshman who's on the podcast today,
2: Tom. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, thrilling victory for for France. But we're gonna be focusing on the on the football, of course. And as Tom said, it was uh a, a big weekend, and I think there's only one place to start. The um top of the table clash. Um huge match between 3rd place Lyon and, and second-placed PSG. Um, let's listen to what happened. It was an eventful night at the Group Armour Stadium and I was lucky enough to be commentating this game. key manages to keep
0: possession. Runs at corner, gets the cross in and uh, Lopez again. Mbappe now! And Mbappe has scored! Kylian Mbappe <laughs> gets the first goal. After pouncing on that initial save by Antony Lopez, Paris Saint-Germain have their noses in front here at the Groupama Stadium. Oh Cecilio with the header only as far as Kimpembe. This cross is towards Marquinhos who heads it down and Danilo crashes the ball into the back of the net. Paris Saint-Germain double their lead here in Lyon. Di Maria to take the free kick. It's a dangerous ball in from Di Maria and it has gone in. Inside the far post, nobody got a touch and Angel Di Maria has put PSG 3-0 up early in the second half. As Paqueta goes down looking for the free kick and uh, PSG can come clear at the other end with Mbappe. Mbappe 1-1 on with Anthony Lopez and Kylian Mbappe has made it 4-0 to PSG. Mbappe with his second of the night and he is just
2: electric. Well, Dave, perhaps not what we were expecting given PSG's difficulties this season against the big the big teams um and i think you know overall we have to say you know well done to Paris Saint-Germain who 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 turned up and it was the uh, the strong Paris Saint-Germain the PSG that we've seen in in recent seasons they were back weren't they and totally asserted their their dominance they went 4-0 up um we heard those four goals leon did get a couple back but never really uh, never really looked like coming back and getting a point. It was definitely Paris Saint-Germain's best hour
4: of league football of the entire season. A performance outranked only in all competitions by their one at the new Camp, with Mbappé looking equally as sharp last night against Lyon, having disappointed so much against Nantes. He was back with a bang in midweek as a substitute for Mauro Ricardi in the Coupe de France against Lille, scoring a double off the bench. And then we saw everything that we like about Mbappe in that performance against Lyon before he came off as a precaution with a minor ankle injury. The pace, playing in others, the goal scoring to make it 100 goals in his league and career, 20 this season. Um, obviously, uh, I'm trying to forget, while Tom's trying to forget about the rugby, I'm trying to forget about my predictions from two weeks ago when I confidently stated that Lyon would definitely beat Paris Saint-Germain in this game. I've had a shocking time over the last two weeks, so... I'm just going to have to rip up what I said in terms of my predictions on the individual games, but I did say that PSG would be champions, and I'm sticking with that because they destroyed Lyon. The, the final score flattered Lyon.
2: Yeah, Tom. A, a lot of the build-up to the game was uh, talking about Memphis Depay, who has been linked with a move even to Paris Saint-Germain. We know that he's he's out of contract. He's likely to leave Lyon in the summer. He was hauled off after an hour. didn't look didn't look at all happy, but he was he was ineffective and just totally totally outshone by by Kylian Mbappe and uh, I liked I liked Mbappe's humility after the game as well where he didn't just say yeah we were brilliant he said yeah well it wasn't good enough against Nantes I set up a goal for Colomwani in that game so I had to make up for it a little bit um, and it was yeah it was it, it was vintage vintage Mbappe wasn't it Tom and uh, just a few thoughts on him having got 100 goals now in I think it's 142 games at the age of 22 just, just incredible.
3: Yeah, he's he's a phenomenon, uh, and I think what we've seen from him in in the last few weeks is is his best performances in, in a PSG shirt. He he looked at his absolute best, um, of course. You know that the hat trick against uh, against Barcelona at Camp Nou uh, being the sort of standout performance. But I think, uh, I mean, this might be slightly devil's advocate here, but I I feel like this this system uh, that that Mauricio Pochettino has settled on in Neymar's absence with Verratti higher up the pitch, which enables Mbappe to spend more of his time in the final third. I think that that suits Mbappe better, um, perhaps even than playing with Neymar, because I think it sort of forced him to kind of, you know, take some of the rough edges out of his game and just concentrate on doing what he does best. And we've seen that so many times. We saw that in the goal he scored against Marseille. We saw that in the hat-trick at Camp Nou we saw that uh, in in the game against Lyon particularly the, the his second goal uh, and, and you know symbolically his 100th league goal and it was the classic mbappe goal lovely pass from from Verratti from deep mbappe picks the ball up on halfway basically impeccable first touch second touch is the finish and he's sprinting off towards the corner flag in celebration before Lyon can even react that's where you want to see him not sort of spending time you know on the halfway line uh, in front of a packed defence, exchanging one twos with with Neymar, um, and you know, getting getting lost in, in in trying to get on top of his his direct opponent. You want to see him sprinting into space and, and finishing. And, and I feel like what we've seen these last few weeks has been Pochettino unlocking the best of Mbappe. You know, making sure that when he is getting onto the ball, he's getting onto the ball in exactly the positions where you'd want to see him. And I think a big challenge now. For Pochettino and, and for PSG is how does how does Pochettino bring Neymar back into the starting eleven, which he obviously has to do, without upsetting that that quite delicate balance that has been discovered. But yeah, Mbappe, you know, phenomenal. It's great to see him playing like this, scoring goals like this. Uh, and you know, after a period of a few weeks where his form was being questioned a bit, when there was talk of him perhaps flatlining a little bit, you know, plateauing a little bit, um, and you know we we see it quite a lot in the french media comparisons of where he is compared to you know some of the some of the the, the greats of recent years and no one uh, can compete with uh, his uh, his rate of goal scoring uh, at this age he's already ahead of messi ahead of cristiano ronaldo ahead of wayne ahead of whoever you want to compare him to um, and yeah, after a slightly complicated few weeks, uh, I think it, it's it, it's really exciting to see him in this sort of form.
2: I, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, the point that you make about about Virati. I mean, I was obviously I was commentating the game, and I was thinking the first fifteen minutes we're not we're not really seeing Virati. And what's interesting is you know he he is he sees less of the ball, Verratti, and he's obviously having to adapt to this position higher up the pitch, but. You know the fact that he was involved. He was involved in the opening goal. It was his shot that Lopez pushed out, and uh, then Mbappe scored phenomenal uh, pass through for for Mbappe's second goal. And yeah, he Verratti is is being more decisive. And I think in terms of the choices, I think Pochettino got got everything right. I mean, he was um, a bit, it was a bit of a surprise to see Danilo Pereira starting. We thought Parades would start, but Danilo, yeah, very strong, scored that really important second goal. I think Moyes Keane deserves credit as well for mbappe's performance because I think he was just full of running occupied the um, the the Leon defenders and probably was more of a handful than Maro Icardi has been in the center forward position in, in in recent weeks so while I think Pochettino got everything right I think Rudy Garcia got got one or two things wrong and Leon were better um, when he, when he made the changes but uh, I don't know what you thought Dave I mean as much as PSG were good Leon were, were hugely disappointing and uh, um, we talked before the podcast about Mattia Dessilio being um, included instead of Leo Dubois and I was just sort of on air I was suggesting it's probably because he has superior pace and could maybe deal with with Mbappe better but looking at that decision and the way Dessilio was pretty poor on on, on the first two goals it doesn't look like great decisions from Garcia. I'm not convinced that Dessilio is any quicker than
4: Leo Dubois to be honest and uh, I know we, we talked about this prior to kick-off when we saw the, the team sheet drop, and we are saying that Dubois is about the best crosser in the French game. So if you're trying to keep Mbappe in check, one of the best ways of doing it is to force him to run back towards his own goal rather than always be running at your goal. Because we, we knew that Mbappe was up for it from that first huge sprint that he put in, creating a, a wonderful chance for Moise Keane. Uh, decilio yeah, he wasn't there, but that applies to most of, of the Lyon players, unfortunately, for Rudy Garcia's team last night. We saw... Marcelo's limitations exposed. If he leaves space behind him, he is in all sorts of trouble as well. Um, And also what disappointed me the most was the golf in terms of commitment. For me, the other symbol of the game, uh, apart from Mbappe, was the way Marquinhos won that header to set up the goal for Danilo Pereira with the great jump with the cross from Kimpembe. We've criticised PSG at times for not being uh, in fifth gear when they're played... Uh, well, I was going to say lesser opponents, but they've actually been awful against the top teams until last night. Um, but last night they were at it. Leon weren't, and you can't put it down to team selection in total. I think it was from what from Anthony Lopez in goal all the way through to the front players. No one played very well.
2: But Tom, we've we've talked uh, on the podcast about the fact that you know a few of us, me included, have said, well, Leon have got a better midfield than PSG this season, and uh, they've got five really good central midfield players to to choose from. But last night, it, you know, if I'm being honest, it looked a bit like men against boys. Um, Danilo, Idrissa Gay and Marco Verratti absolutely bossed it against uh, against Thiago uh, Thiago Mendes, and Paqueta. Um, why was that? You know, is this a case of, you know, experience and, and, and the big guys turning up? Because, you know, I've seen Memphis DePay getting some stick on, on social media, people saying, Oh, the big game, he didn't turn up. But for me, it was it was the midfield that that you know that PSG just just really bossed the game and Leon's attackers didn't get that service. Yeah, I
3: was surprised by that, to be honest, because with, with Kakare coming in for Awa, you would have thought that if anything, Leon would be even more combative than usual. Um yeah, I think Lucas Paqueta has has impressed us all, perhaps even surprised us all with with his sort of physicality. Um, and you know, I think the fact that all three of Leon's central midfielders allowed themselves to be to be bullied um, by their by their opposite numbers suggests that it was a sort of a, a collective problem. I mean, it, you know, it's I'm loath to, to to question players' attitudes, but it, it did just feel, as as Dave said, that Leon just weren't really at it, um, and, and that PSG were and you know, we saw performances from PSG's players that um, you know that were, that were that were quite surprising. I mean, you know, Danilo Pereira has been pretty disappointing so far. Obviously, you know, he was playing at centre back in in his first few weeks at PSG, which wasn't what he would have expected. But even when he's played central midfield, he hasn't really you know looked um, you know looked up to the the required pace. But he was he was exceptional, as was Adrissa Gay, and yeah, you know, Leon's midfield three just sort of looked uh, like they've been caught cold a little bit, and I think. You you sort of, you look at at Leon's dynamic and I think that the question that faces them now is, can Rudy Garcia come up with something new that's going to give them, you know, some new uh, impetus going into the final eight matches of the season? Because he's basically, you know, this is the same team that has been playing when fit um, since uh, October and you know, he, he settled on this way of playing with, with the pie as the sort of withdrawn forward and, and Caduari and, and and it can be wide and then this you know sort of hardworking midfield three and, and that was what gave Leon the, the momentum that that took them up in into the title picture. But they've you know they've they've really gone off the boil in recent weeks. And I yeah I, I wonder whether Garcia is going to be able to come up with something new um because this this current way of playing um looks like it, it, it may have run its course potentially
2: yeah well i mean ryan shirky and islam slimani did bring something different when they came on uh, shirky set up that goal for for Kornay. slimani scored a really good goal but you know if slimani starts he has to start through the middle really He started one game out wide and and he was poor but you know i mean it's going to be interesting very interesting tom to see how to see how leon cope in in the coming weeks they've uh, obviously surrendered the initiative in the title race psg have taken that initiative, but still, you know, I feel there are twists and turns to come. Um, we got an email. You can email into Le um, using our email, league1podcast at gmail.com. We welcome all of your thoughts. As ever, Chris Carpenter wrote in and he said, uh, um, I wanted to ask the pod if you think Ligue 1 is starting to get the respect and attention it deserves after years of lazy farmer-based puns and general sneering from the mainstream media. This weekend's results once again highlighted the most exciting title race in Europe. What do you reckon, um, Tom? You're 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 over in the UK. You probably get a bit of sneering um, from from time to time when you tweet or talk about about French football. Do you think attitudes are changing a bit? I I'm not sure they are. But to be honest, I've I've
3: kind of got to a point where I I get so much enjoyment from watching French football, and I think this season has been so exciting um, and. Uh, so suspenseful, and and looks like it's going to remain that way right to the end of the season. I've stopped caring about the Farmers League jibes and about people, you know, being dismissive about about this league. I think I think people who watch the league regularly, like us, know how much quality there is, um, and consequently, I, I you know if. You know, sort of snooty fourteen-year-old Real Madrid fans want to want to brandish the the Farmers League uh, epithet on on Twitter. That that's up to them. I think those of us who who, who love French football know that we're onto a good thing. And uh, yeah, as you say, you know, we couldn't really be having a better a better time of it currently with with the state of play and the title
4: race and and, and some of the quality of football being played. But France did have uh, two clubs in the final four of the Champions League last summer, so I think attitudes began to change there of course we were all disappointed with the way Marseille and Rennes performed in this season's Champions League and the fact that there's no league 1 representative left in the Europa League so the, the hopes of the entire division are now pinned on Paris Saint-Germain when they take on Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals but what we are seeing it is the best title race in all of Europe this is not hype, it's a fact and we're seeing a contestable league which is Again, one of the criticisms that had been levelled at Ligue 1 was that Paris Saint-Germain was so far ahead that there were maybe some games that weren't as interesting to watch. This season, as I've proven with my inability to predict any results right in the last fortnight, you can't predict what is going to happen. And and that's the essence of an exciting league to watch.
2: Yes, hear, hear. Well said, Dave. And uh, to be honest, Tom, I, I, I stopped caring about well, 10 or 12 years <laughs> ago, I would say, about... About about these jibes, and yeah, I I agree. It's been a great season so far, and there is honestly there is so much talent in League One at the moment. I've, I've I've not been this sort of excited about this many players for, for for so long. We're going to talk about Monaco a bit later. We've got just a huge number of uh, of top young talents, but we're gonna um, bring in our deja who section. An opportunity for, for you guys and girls to, to, to get involved and to, to email in league1podcast uh, at gmail.com. If you think you know the answer, and uh, I can't believe how many of you are actually getting these conundrums from Ian Holyman. Last week's, uh, this was the clue. Uh, I was born in the Ivory Coast, had two spells at France's most famous youth club. The first being more successful, and I won the Coupe de France. A, sw- a switch to Turin didn't work out. I was even loaned back to a Legan team. And I also had spells in England's and Scotland's second city. I ended a career that didn't live up to its promise in Poland in 2015. But my nephew could add another potentially happier chapter to the family's history. He's at PSG. Now, Tom, I'm sure you know the answer. But I won't put you on the spot. Olivier Capo. And uh, like I say, plenty of people got it right. Well done, Ed Scott. Callan Bosley, Habib Barr, Wei chun Lo, Liam Wraith, Thomas DeRoy, James McBride, Adam Sironik, of course, uh, James Cathy, and Ryan Yawel. Fantastic effort. Olivier Capo, I didn't know he finished in Poland. That's quite interesting. My memory of Olivier Capo will always be his nutmeg on Patrick Vieira um, at Highbury, and then he scored from about 25 yards and an Auxair one at Highbury. So um, that was a good one. Ian's got another Very tricky one this week. So um, here's the clue coming up. If you think you know the answer, you can uh, either use the hashtag LeBonjour on Twitter or you can email us league one podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. My career started in the country of my birth, though it wasn't the country I represented at international level, and took in Tanzania and South Africa before I arrived in Europe in 1996. I hopped across the border to Liga where I started in Brittany, but really made my name in the sunnier southern climes where I was bought to replace a World Cup winner at the turn of the millennium. I spent five years there, reaching a major final and suffering a serious injury, before going on to Italy, England, briefly, and Turkey. That's your clue. That's your Deja Vu for this week. League One Podcast at gmail.com if you want to take part. We're gonna move on to the second big game. This game took place just before the Lyon PSG contest. It was on Sunday afternoon. Lille, the league leaders, three points clear before kickoff. They were at home against Nîmes. David Crossan is your commentator.
1: Fair hat. That's an excellent pass to Eliasson. And now Kone, what a finish by Musa Kone. And Le Crocodile of Nîmes have a shock lead. It's Kone's third goal in his last four outings. Main threat from set pieces for Lille is Jose Font, three goals this season. It's Bomber, chance, it's Botman, rather it's Jekka and into the corner of the net. Lille have equalized through their Portuguese midfielder Jekka. Immediately on the move again, looks for that one-two with Fairhat once more. Great ball by Ferhat for Ripa, Renault Ripa's eighth for the season, and Nima in front for the second time. Sensational football from Le Crocodile, showing they have snapped to their play. And Neem have a famous result in their survival battle. Lille could be usurped as Ligue 1 leaders tonight when Lyon play Paris Saint-Germain after slumping to their third defeat of the league season. Well, David,
2: what happened? What happened to, to Lille? They had the chance to go six points clear and to heap the pressure on Lyon and PSG, and uh, they fluffed their lines. They were short of creativity, short
4: of inspiration, uh, had some similar failings to Lyon later on in the day as well. Their commitment wasn't there. I, I've never seen Jose Font be so scathing in his post-match words. He said they didn't defend as a team, and when you don't defend as a team, you basically get what you deserve. That uh, Neem played a, a very, very clever game. Under Pascal Plonk, they've had some... Fine results. He's a former Lille player, former assistant coach at Lille when Claude Puel was Lille coach in the noughties. And he set his team up deep, but with mobile and skillful players on the break. Musa Kone was excellent. Zinedine Fairhat is uh, one of my favourite players to watch. But my absolute favourite, as long term and podcast listeners will know, is Renault Repar. Uh, he's a big, chunky, versatile player, played central midfield wearing the captain's armband yesterday. The delicate finish as he lifted the ball over Mike Menon was beautiful. One of my favourite goals of the weekend. His eighth of the season. And Lille, apart from Burak Yilmaz putting the ball in the back of the net when he was offside early in the second half, they created nothing until the clock was already at 90 minutes. They left it far too late. They ended up in desperation with Font as an auxiliary centre forward and Menon coming up for the last set pieces. And they got what they deserved, which was nothing. And they wasted that huge chance... Uh, when they had the possibility of going six points clear ahead of the Lyon-PSG game. And it was only their third defeat of the season, but their form has tailed off. That's three draws and one defeat in their last six games. And now for them, like Lyon, they'll be worried about how quickly Monaco are picking up points
2: behind them. This is a worrying result, isn't it, Tom? We've seen Lille, um you know, I'd say even since the turn of the year, they've not been firing on all cylinders. They've just about been been getting the results they needed, but it, it, it's weird to. I guess there was a bit of pressure on them, but it's weird to 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 not really turn up, given the situation they they were in on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think over the course of the entire season,
3: Lille are probably the team who've impressed me the most, along with Monaco, um, in terms of you know the quality of their football. You know, they are a proper football team and. And when they're on their game, they're you know they're, they're a really impressive team to watch. But uh, yeah, uh, you know they're, they're dropping uh, points um, in a way that feels really avoidable um, currently. I mean, you know you go back a little bit further. Yeah, they drew 0-0 at home to Brest. They drew one one at home to Strasbourg. They needed uh, those two late Jonathan David goals uh, to get them uh, over the line against Marseille. Drew away at Monaco and then, you know, uh, losing at home to, to Nîmes, um most recently. And, and it, it does feel like they they need a second win. And I think what's particularly troubling is the fact that they're basically full strength now. I mean, you know, when, when Burak Yilmaz was out of the team, we, we know how important he is to the way they play. You, you know, you might have thought, OK, well, you know, that they, they are going to struggle a little bit. But it's it's hard to see, um, you know, what else they can do. I know Jonathan Iconi sort of pulled out of the game um, shortly before kickoff yesterday, but... Um, uh, you know, Christophe Galtier has got has got plenty of options um and was able to put out a, a pretty strong team and, and they were just they were just very flat. Um and you know, similar to Leon, really, you sort of wonder with PSG looking like they might be about to click into gear, can these teams stay with them? Um, because although Monaco were on this fantastic run and and, and looked like you know nothing's gonna hold them back, Lille and Lyon. Uh, you know, have both sort of hit the skids of late um, and, and perhaps the international break, albeit um, or, or one that brings more complications with it than, than usual, perhaps it's arrived at a decent time and it, and, it you know, it'll give Lille's players a bit of time to
2: to clear their heads and, and, and focus on um, uh, the title running. Yeah, it's, it's quite hard, I think, psychologically to think, you know, they could have been six points clear, um, albeit, you know, momentarily. Um, and yeah, and now they're not top of the league. And one of these teams is is gonna is gonna miss out on the Champions League. That's the thing. One of these teams is gonna is gonna finish fourth. Now I, you know, my predictions were hopeless, almost as hopeless as Dave's. And I, I you know, I've predicted PSG to finish fourth. Which I don't know if it was sort of a little bit tongue in cheek, maybe. Although I'm saying that now after after PSG's result l- last night. But you know, it is so close, and you worry a little bit for Lille and for Leon. Um, they've had brilliant seasons so far, but you know, are they faltering? You know, just at at, at the wrong time, and one of those teams could could well finish fourth. I just want to mention Pascal Plonk. I know Dave has has already mentioned him, but um, I found it very interesting. Lequipe, um, they 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 publish salaries. Um, I think they do it every year. They publish sort of league 1 salaries, and they got all you know all the clubs' top salaries. Pascal Plonk, he is the uh, the lowest earning uh, league 1 manager. But not only is he is he a low earner, he's he's on seven k a month um, euros. Um, now I know Dave. I think that's the minimum wage for coaches, actually. Dave, Dave, and and Tom are you know t- looking looking down their noses at this one, thinking, "God, I earn more than that." That's what you're thinking, lads, isn't it? But no, <laughs> but seriously, Pascal Blanc. It's, it's interesting because he he joined them to help out as as an assistant, um, and then after Jérôme Marpignon was sacked, he's basically, um, yeah, he's he's accepted to keep the same wage because Neymar in financial difficulty, and you know, I I just think it's 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 really good because he must be working his socks off. He's a guy who's got big experience having worked with Claude Puel um, at Leicester, Southampton. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say fair play. Oh, 7K, 7K, 7K a month. I know it's not, you know, it's not a, a terrible salary, but for a league on coach, it's pretty low, isn't it? I, I'm
4: going to throw some more numbers at you, Matt. But under Jerome Arpinon, they'd taken 15 points from 22 games. Since Plonk was promoted, they've taken 14 points in eight games. And they're going to stay up. If they keep playing the way they do, they're playing with real method. I love the one-twos that Birger Merling, the Norwegian left-back, and Zinedine Ferhat play with each other. Lille had no answer to that at all. That Timothy Weyer was in front of Zeki Celik, didn't give him enough help. Um, Celik, I've not seen him in that much trouble basically all season. Uh, Lille, the next game is the big one for them now. When they go to the Parc de Prince after the international window... Um, they can basically write off that Coupe de France defeat because they weren't at full strength. They are going to be at full strength for the trip to the Parc de Prince. Uh They struggle when teams defend deep against them. PSG won't do that. So they've got to see that as an opportunity. They're going to be pumped up for it. And I expect a much better Lille when we come back after the international break.
2: Okay, well, let's hope so for for Lille fans. I'm just wondering, you know, if Jérôme Arpignon was, you know, I assume earning more than Pascal Planca, he surely could have afforded a, a new tracksuit because that that old one that he was wearing for most of the season was uh, was looking pretty worn. Uh, but Neem, anyway, by the way, with that win, brilliant win for them. They're out of the bottom two. They're up to 18th. Um, they're on 29 points. They've just edged above Nantes, who were pegged back. They were beating Lorient at the weekend, but they drew 1-1 with... Uh, With Lorient. So, you know, it's incredibly tight. Dijon are bottom. They lost 1 0 to Reims at the weekend. They are pretty much down. 15 points they've got. Nantes, 19th, 28 points. Nîmes uh, and Lorient both have 29 points. It looks like it's going to be played out between those four, but uh, Saint Etienne and even Strasbourg could be worried. They're on 33 points we're going to turn our attentions to Monaco now still the form team of 2021 and they were brilliant at the Stade Guichard against Saint-Etienne on Friday night Robbie Thompson commentated this one
1: Gio- the little touch for Jovic again still Jovic, still going and this time he gets his goal just two minutes after missing from the penalty spot and Stefan Jovic has made amends Golovin outside, the cutback for Chuimini. oh, what a rocket, and that's 2-0, yes. now, is this the chance, the little chip over the top, and Sofiane Diop makes it 3-0, and this one is all over, the shouting now, Monaco have a, a very good squad. Now the ball back to Fabregas. First time for Diata. And with his very first touch, Krepin Diata
2: has his first goal in French football. Tom, there was a, a surprising choice from Niko Kovac with uh, Stevan Jovetic starting. He hasn't started many games. He's scored a few coming off the bench this season. Um, but Ben Yedder dropped or rested. Very surprising one. He's, he's, he's the club captain, but Kovac's choice paid dividends with with Jovetic scoring and with Monaco playing a a really impressive game.
3: Yeah, I mean, Ben Yedder has been a sort of an intriguing subplot this season because although Monaco are having a great time of it and he's scoring plenty of goals, he's routinely substituted, you know, never seems to finish games, he's always sort of taken off around the hour mark, uh, around the hour mark and then found himself on the bench uh, at Saint-Étienne. Um, and, you know, I, I think that is just a sign that... um you know, Niko Kovac trusts in the the alternatives he has at his disposal. Stefan Jovetic has looked really good off the bench in recent games. You know, we know about all the injury problems he's had in recent years, and it it looks that you know, fingers crossed, he has finally put those uh, behind him. So, as as miffed as Ben Yedder must have felt to have been left out of the starting eleven, I don't think you could deny that 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 Jovetic deserved an opportunity to come into the starting eleven. Um, and, and he showed it, you know, on his game right from the off, cracks a half volley against the crossbar, uh, hits a penalty against the post uh, and then scores uh, in into the corner he'd aimed for from the penalty spot, uh, but with a shot in open play about a minute later. Um, and yeah, just, you know, a further example of, uh, of what an exceptional team Monaco are, that they can make these adjustments to their starting 11 and, and they just carry on picking up points picking up wins you know we've seen Alexander Golovin you'd think he'd be a nailed on starter sometimes he's on the bench but when he comes in he he seems to to turn up and i spoke to Paul Mitchell the Monaco sporting director in in January and it was it was at the start of this sort of revival if you like and he he spoke a lot about the need for patience and about the importance of sort of creating foundations and you know i sort of said to him uh, you know, how important is it to, to qualify for for Europe this season? And he basically said it, it's not that important to him at least. You know, he said his his point was if we can get to the end of this season and we feel like there's a dynamic in place and we're playing the sort of football we want to play and things feel like they're coming together, that will be a success. I suspect that if you put the same question to him now, he'd give you a very different answer because Monaco are on this fantastic dynamic. And I, I get the impression almost that they're slightly ahead of schedule, you know. It's Nigo Kovac's first co- first season as head coach, and um, you know they've uh, they've changed their, their the way they play, and you know various players coming in, and and and, and, and things have clicked uh, perhaps slightly sooner than expected, and um, yeah, I mean as I said previously, whereas Lille and, and, and Leon look like they're slowing down, and, and PSG can be uh, you know can be a hard team to predict sometimes. Looking at you know some of the disappointing results they've had this season. Monaco were just on this on this fantastic run um and I think out of out of those teams in the top four they're the ones who will who will go into the um uh the the uh, the running uh, probably with the most momentum.
2: Yeah, Tom, if you could just not mention Aurelien Tchouameni or Sofiane Diop to any to anyone who, you know, in the Premier League who might be sort of sniffing around because we'd like to keep these guys for for a bit longer. Um, two sensational goals th- by the way.
3: Absolute beauty. <laughs> oh my god. Lo- oh oh I mean- is fantastic. The little, uh, the little sort yeah, of j- scoop, kind of
2: Poborsky style lob after running through. He's, yeah, he's crazily sort of cool. I mean, I remember when he was... Was he a wren at the time? When when he scored a Penenka penalty in the Coupe de la Ligue semi-finals. And it's just ridiculously cool. I think he was 18 or something. And it, it was like that, the goal on Friday. You know, you're going through, clean through on goal at, you know, at, at a fast pace and he's just scooped it over the keeper. Just majestic and Chouameni I was going to ask Dave if there's a better central midfielder a more exciting young central midfielder in Europe right now I will ask Dave is there a more exciting central midfielder in Europe he's definitely the emerging midfield talent in Ligue 1 uh,
4: I admit I'm a little bit blinkered I don't watch as much European football as Tom probably does but Chouameni's totally deserving of his call up to the France under 21 squad for the European Championships um, Sylvain Ripoll has recognised what he can do and um, Yeah, he's better than Fafana. And when they were signed, if you'd asked me who's the better player, at that time I would have said Fafana. But Chirmini has has come on in major strides and is one of the first names on the team sheet for Niko Kovac because he provides balance to the team. Uh, I think he's really mature for his age uh, and that goes for a number of the young players in the Monaco lineup. Uh, When you see him play, you think he's one of the quieter characters, but apparently... It, he and Fafana are the jokers in that Monaco dressing room. They're, you're going to be on the receiving end of their jokes if you're in that uh, uh, Monaco team.
2: Yeah, I, I think they're. I think they are pretty funny. We had um, we had an interview with with both of them after a game, and, uh, and the idea we wanted them to talk about Benoit Badiashile for a TV report we were doing on Badiashile, and they were pretty funny. They were just like making jokes about. It. But yeah, it, it was quite a nice sort of insight into the into the atmosphere that I think they've got. Um, with all these young kids at, at Monaco, but I just wanted to touch on something Tom said because I think that's really interesting. Um, what Paul Mitchell was saying that there's no pressure really. You know, we're, we're at the start of a of a project. So the last few years at Monaco, it's been it's been turmoil really, hasn't it? And all the changes, so many players coming in, different managers. That could be the key, couldn't it, Dave? And I, and I think these kids, you know, obviously if they get a 80 million pound offer for Chouhamani, they might have to sell. But I think these kids are, g- are going to be there for a little while yet. And that's what's exciting. Yeah, and I
4: think that's uh, interesting in, w- in what Tom said about his conversation with Paul Mitchell as well. Because uh, the the problem for Monaco was that they were selling players year after year. That uh, My biggest regret in all of our time covering French football is that we didn't get to see that 2016-2017 play together again in 2017-2018. Because I thought they could have got even better. This team, you sense, is going to have the chance to grow over the next couple of seasons and uh, could emerge as as a force to be a genuine challenges year after year and, and that's got to be good not only for Ligue 1 but also for the French national side with the number of young French players that are in there including Badia uh, at the back a good ball playing centre half and given centre half is a really interesting position in the French national team because when you think that someone's got a, a position nailed down they're going to be there for years they seem to Start making mistakes or suffer injury problems, so there could be a space for Badier still in years to come.
2: And so I haven't mentioned the league standings. Monaco have got fifty nine points, so they're just one point behind Lyon. Monaco fourth, Lyon third, um, and so Lyon three points behind PSG and Lille. So I mean Monaco. Feasibly still in, you know, very much in, in the title race. And when you look at the fixtures, we will look ahead to, to, to the post-international break fixtures. And um, we've got Lille against PSG or PSG against Lille. And uh, Lyon have a hard game away to Lens as well. So, you know, Monaco at home against Mets should win that, although Mets are not necessarily a, an easy team to play. But, you know, it's very much alive, this title race, and Monaco uh, are very much in it. So So watch this space. Thank you as well to... Um, one of our listeners, uh, a young a young lad, Benjamin Suds, 13 years of age, who wrote in, he's a Monaco fan from England, and uh, he says, thank you very much, guys. The podcasts have helped him to get through uh, uh, the last few difficult months. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Benjamin, and I'm sure Monaco's performances uh, uh, are doing are doing you a lot of good. They're a terrific team to watch at the moment. Um, yeah, that... that no, that doesn't sum up our action. That sums up the action at the top. I wanted to mention the race for fifth because it's it's pretty exciting. We've got these four teams that are, that are way ahead, but I think there are five sides behind them all very much in with a shout of that fifth position in Europa League football. Lens got a, another really good win. They're having an incredible season after winning promotion. They are fifth at the moment after beating Strasbourg 2-1. Um, nice 3, Marseille nil Marseille uh, I think are in the race for 5th, well they they were 5th before this weekend but they went down 3-0 um, at Nice, that's Jorge Sampaoli's first defeat Mets 1, Rennes 3 Bruno Genesio getting getting Rennes winning there in uh, with a shout, Montpellier 3 Bordeaux 1, I know I'm a bit biased because I am English but watch the highlights of Montpellier 3, Bordeaux 1, Steffi Mavadidi was absolutely superb for Montpellier. Scored a great goal, very nearly scored another after running pretty much the full length of the pitch. He's got eight goals, um, Tom, this season. Steffi Mavadidi playing on the left wing for Montpellier. He's a 22-year-old, who's had a bit of a funny career. He started at Arsenal, went to Juventus, um, played mainly in the reserves at Juventus, then came to France. Um, but, you know, he's having a breakthrough season. And if he gets into double figures and he's on course to do that, I mean, that would be... That would be a real achievement, I think, for a player of his age.
3: Yeah, it'd be a huge achievement. And I think particularly coming into a team with a very well-established strike partnership already of Andy De Laurent and Guitan Laborde. And I think it's credit to, to Michel uh, de that he's sort of rejigged uh, the way that, that Montpellier played to make sure there is room for, for Mavididi, who, as you say, tends to play in that sort of wide left position. And yeah, I mean, he, he has had a bit of a strange... Uh, career so far uh you know Arsenal Juventus two of the biggest clubs in European football uh but couldn't couldn't really find his place either and and now finally is, is showing what he can do um and uh yeah I mean he's he's probably a little way off uh, an England call up given the amount of competition for places there is in in Gareth Southgate squad but uh yeah good to see uh good to see a young English footballer um you know, sort of confirming some of the potential that we, that, you know, that, that that we've suspected he had for for some time, um, and uh, yeah, obviously helping to keep Montpellier in contention for uh, European qualification as well.
2: Yeah, I I do think he's very talented, and he probably won't get the recognition that that he deserves for for the season he's having in in Montpellier. But in terms of his development, I think this season's doing him uh, a lot of good, and I think we'll talk more about Steffi Mavadidi next week because we've got an interview. Uh, with him, so we'll 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 leave the Mavadidi talk uh, maybe for another day, and we'll talk a little bit about two other guys. One of Mavadidi's teammates, Junior Sambia, and uh, also a young player who plays for Lorient and is called Loriente, which is a, a cracking name. Um, but Junior Sambia, I want to mention him partly because he scored an absolutely brilliant free kick in Montpellier's three-one win against Bordeaux. he was about thirty yards out a midfielder who's been converted to right back this season. And he, you know, he really is looking the part and it's an incredible story as well, because he started this season in intensive care and was, um, but well, that was, it was before the start of the season, wasn't it? It was right at the beginning of the COVID outbreak. And uh, there were real fears that, that, you know, that he wasn't going to make it. He was placed in an artificial coma. Um, He was in intensive care for several days. And, you know, thankfully Thankfully, he pulled through, and and is having a a terrific season. And um, doesn't want to doesn't want to talk too much about his his experiences, which I think you you can probably understand because, um, you know I can't imagine what it what it what it would be like to go through. But fantastic sort of pleasure to see a story like that. And uh, yeah, a really really talented footballer. And I I just want to talk about the free kicks as much as anything because he scored. This this fantastic shot, but he was upstaged a little bit later in the afternoon by Armand Loriente. If you haven't seen Lo- Loriente, sorry, if you haven't seen Loriente's goal for Lorient um, to get a draw at Non, I mean, Tom, tell us tell us about it. You obviously remember the Juni- Juninho days um, when Juninho was doing that on pretty much on a weekly basis for Leon. But the technique, he was probably thirty five yards out. Dave told me actually that the shot hit five meters in terms of in terms of height. I mean. Tom, that was you know one of the strikes of the season. One of the best free kicks I've ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating in any way. And
3: uh, as you say, the, the first player who comes to mind is, is Giannino, um, because L'Oriente struck it in, in the same way that Genino did, um, very much with the side of his foot. And you don't see that many players strike free kicks like that. You get a lot of players who will sort of hit across the ball with their laces, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo being one example, Gareth Bale takes free kicks in the same way, but this technique requires the player's foot to be basically side-on to the ball at the moment of impact. Um, And pretty much exactly the way that the Janinho used to take his free kicks. And I I can only think of Janinho who'd be capable of scoring a free kick from that sort of distance. Because it let me, you know, it, it was in excess of 35 yards out on the inside left channel You never see players shoot from there. And he couldn't have placed it uh, more accurately if he'd carried the ball um, in his hands and and, and chucked it in the top corner. Absolutely sensational free kick. Uh, Unless we forget, you know, he scored a fantastic free kick a few weeks back against Saint-Etienne, albeit from closer in. But again, similar technique, very much with the instep rather than with the laces. Um, So yeah, fantastic goal late in the game. Rescues rescues a point for Lorient, and he gets called up for France under 21s as well. So yeah, a day that he uh, he probably won't forget in a hurry.
2: He's he's a really interesting player, I think, because he can he can look devastating. I think he could become a really a really sort of good and important player because I think he's got something that that teams in the modern game need. In that he's he's extremely good at sort of leading counter attacks. You know, a team that sits deep, he he's got this burst of of pace and power. Um, we saw it again uh, in the, the the week before when he set up um, Johan Wissa for a goal. Uh, so you know it's it's interesting, and he he was also um, one of Kylian Mbappe's roommates at at Clairefontaine. And it's, what's quite funny is that Mbappe has been banging in goals for five years now, and we're sort of seeing others from his generation just starting to find their feet now in Ligue 1, like like uh, Armand Loriente, who are sort of normal people, um, not like Kylian Mbappe. But I kind of I've got this image of uh, of the two of them. I read an article talking about how they used to play FIFA in in in, in his bedroom. I've got an image of, of the two of them, kind of like you know discussing the science of uh, of free kicks and things like that at the age of at the age of thirteen. But, um, David, you know, he's he's an interest, interesting one to keep our eyes on, and you know, and that's a big goal, not just a phenomenal goal, but a big goal because it keeps them ahead of Nantes and ahead of Nîmes. Yeah, and we were saying, weren't we, uh,
4: a few weeks ago, that Teren Moffi needed a bit more support in the Lorient attack because. They'd had that good run after they'd been struck quite badly by a a COVID outbreak, but then just looked like they were turning the other way. But thanks to Lorient's contributions, they're keeping their heads just about uh, above water. And when you've got someone who can hit free kicks like that, what it does do is it puts fear into opposition minds because you suddenly start thinking any set piece within 40 metres, that's a, a, a threat to our goal. Um, I know Antoine Comboare compared him to Janino, as Tom did, saying we've not seen that in the French game since him. Uh, I saw Lorient's quotes, which I liked, which was that he seems like a keen student of the game. He watches free-kick technique, and then he works on it. And Some people say, no, I, I just go out there, and I hit my free-kicks. But surely, if you watch videos and you work on it, that is how you get better, and Loriente is the proof of this. And As Tom said, called up to the Euro under-21 squad, for replacing uh, Moussa Diaby, and is the stage is set for him to,
2: to be one of the heroes of Le Merlu staying up. It's a mental squad, isn't it? The France under-21s. It's, I, I'm going to try and watch some of that because, I mean, I didn't mention Amin Guiri, but he was brilliant again against, against Marseille and he looks, he looks like quite a player. Guiri's signing of the season, has got to be. 7 million euros, 12 goals. He's man of the match for Nice every week. Well, it's a, it's a good shout, Dave, and I certainly, yeah, I wouldn't argue against that. Um well, we're going to look ahead. We do have the international round coming up and a lot of interesting international fixtures. But uh, Ligue 1 will be back in, in early April, um, round 31. So uh, let's have a look at those fixtures. It'll be sunny. Spring will be uh, hitting in. France will be perhaps just starting to edge towards the end of, uh, end of lockdown. And uh, maybe we'll be able to go on a Bon voyage. So the uh, Ligue 1 action returns on Saturday, April the 3rd. A couple of uh, big games on the Saturday. Paris Saint-Germain versus Lille. Uh, they don't get much bigger than that as far as the title race is concerned. They're joint top. They play at the Parc des Princes at 5pm on Saturday, April the 3rd. You can watch that. If you're in the UK, live on BT Sports, 4pm. In, in the UK. And then later that evening, Lens against Lyon. That's another big one. It's fifth against third. Um, that takes place at nine o'clock local time, eight pm in the UK. Um, other big matches, uh who are Monaco playing? Monaco are playing at home against Mets. That's actually the first game back. Uh 1 pm in France, 12 pm uh, in the UK, live on BT Sport on on the Saturday, April the third. And then we've got seven matches on the Sunday pick of the games what do we think Marseille against Dijon not really um, although I am interested in watching Jorge Sampaoli um, and how his team gets on otherwise maybe Nîmes against Saint-Etienne that's an interesting relegation dogfight that is the five past five game um, in France so five minutes past four if you want to watch that in the UK on BT Sport um, David Crossan. which game takes your fancy I'm going to leave the
4: obvious one to one side and pick uh, Lens against Lyon because Lens on that great run, Lyon needing to bounce back from the PSG disappointment, I
2: think it's going to be a, a great game in Northern France, that one, so that's my pick. Fair enough, fair enough. Lens against Lyon. I, I've always enjoyed watching Lens this season, I have to say. Um Tom what 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 do you reckon if they let you across the border where would you like to go I'm going to
3: be extremely predictable and go for PSG Lille uh which you know we, we've known for weeks was going to be an important game in the title race and I think even more so over uh, after the um the results of last weekend I mean if PSG can do to Lille what they did to Lyon, uh I think it will only serve to reinforce that feeling that things are finally clicking into gear for for Pochettino's men and that that they are about to, to march their way to the title. But if, if Lille can get a result, if, if, if they can um, you know, draw upon uh, some of the football that they've shown earlier in the season, um, that could really help to not, not breathe life into the title race because it's, it's full of life already, but it, it would really give hope uh, to them uh, and to the teams immediately behind them that, that, that PSG can be, um, can be beaten to the line this season. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a
2: huge game. Absolutely, Monaco could be second at, at kickoff time, but maybe I shouldn't say that because I was I was saying all week that Lille would be six points ahead of uh, Lyon and PSG at uh, kickoff last Sunday. That wasn't the case. Um, but yeah, Monaco at home against Metz. If they can if they can get the win, that sort of you know puts a bit more pressure on the on the teams around them. Um, PSG, Lille, uh, it's going to be. <sighs> It's not. It's not the guy because you know I I I want to travel. I'm I'm fed up of being in the Ile de France, um. But just a word about that game. I think it's interesting because I think for both teams it's tough after the international break. They all only have their players back for a, for a day or two. But the added complication for PSG is they've got Bayern Munich just around the corner. So you wonder if if maybe it's a good time for Lille, but um. But alternatively, it may be a good time for PSG because you will have players like Neymar who will be trying to get, you know, back to full fitness. So anyway, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Monaco because it's just a long, long way from home, and I fancy, uh, fancy having a bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a, a weekend away, taking a bit of sun and watch Aureli and Choumane and Sofiane Diop and uh, um, Yusuf Fofana, all those, uh, all those top young talents uh, in Monaco. So uh, yeah thank you very much thanks for, for joining us Tom and Dave it's been uh, a lot of fun and do enjoy the international break um, enjoy the, the Netflix or whatever you're going to be, be watching over over the, well probably international football um, more more than Netflix but uh, cheers guys we'll be back of course with another edition of Le Bourgeois soon after the international break from me Matt Spiro Tom Williams and David Crosser, and it's time to say au revoir et à bientôt bye bye
1: by Njo, fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Play it again! A goal back! Oh, Benyatta. beautifully done! Sensational!